Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Ich wart seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Hello and welcome to Gagan Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And as always, we will start the show by going over this weekend's results. So, the Friday night game. Yes, Gladbach had started the season very well, but it didn't continue on this occasion. Freiburg managing to beat them 3-1 with an impressive second half. On Saturday, we go into Mainz versus Bayern. Bayern fails to look impressive again, but did come out on top 2-1. Wolfsburg got a 3-0 victory over Fortuna. Then we've seen Dortmund, again that we'll certainly be talking about uh, plenty as Chris Williams was there, drew 2-2 with Hertha Berlin. Hanover 1, Augsburg 2. Then we've seen Hoffenheim in the last kickoff game take on 10 men of Stuttgart coming out on top of 4-0. On Sunday we move into Nuremberg, drew 1-1 with Eintracht. We had been soaring ever so high. What a great result for Nuremberg this turned out to be. RB Leipzig got only their second ever Bundesliga nil-nil against uh, Schalke, a team that uh, Dietmar Hamann has uh, slated for being rather dull, as you may have heard uh, over the last few days. The final game of the weekend, well, almost saved the best last with eight goals. That's right, Werner Bremen 2, Bayer Leverkusen. Six. That's right. Last week we got an impressive 32 goals, uh, which we were very happy about. This week we only got 31. What a shame. But anyway, uh, joining me, as always, is, as I already mentioned, Chris Williams. Chris, how was your weekend? Um, it was fantastic. Thank you, Bryce. I was in the beautiful city of Dortmund, um, industrial heartland of that area. Um, and yeah, it was very nice. I had a great time catching up with um, friends and obviously also working Saturday um, at Dortmund, which is a fantastic place to work, real cutting-edge media facilities, a um, few Premier League sides could learn a thing or two from how, what they've got um, laid out. Wi-Fi was a bit iffy, though, but apart from that, fantastic weekend, Bryce. Very good, and I can only imagine you got an extra hour of sleep with the uh, clocks going back. Uh, no, because... <laughs> The clocks went back. I didn't know if they went back in Germany or not. Um, had a chat with Manu, who's German and didn't really know himself. So that didn't help me because he's living in Canada. So why does he need to know if the clocks go back in Germany or not? So I had to stay up till three o'clock in the morning, Bryce, just to make sure that they went back properly on my phone. Um, and I didn't miss my flight, which was at 10. Yeah, I obviously know this story already, but just enjoyed it so much I thought everyone else needed it here. Sorry, Chris. Um, anyway, uh, Manu, uh, yes, you're with us as well. What do you mean you didn't know that if the clocks were going back or not? In fairness, I did send Chris a screenshot from Google Germany where it says the clocks would go back. Okay. Yeah, I was happy with that bit. I just didn't trust my phone <laughs> to make its way back because I couldn't remember if it automatically gone on to time. Or if I just thrown an hour on Yeah, it, that so. would freak me out too. That automatic thing that it just happens. It's like, is this yeah, the new time normally, or the old time? Yeah, normally it wouldn't bother me, but there was only one flight out of Dortmund that Sunday and I didn't mm. want to have to pay for a night in a hotel and another flight home on Monday. Wow, that, that's a good point, Chris. And, and we're, we're glad to hear that you're back anyway. But um, yeah, guys, let's get off the uh, the clocks going back and let's talk about the football, I think. And uh, I suppose it, it's only right to start with the Friday night game, uh, as we've seen uh, Freiburg, as I mentioned, 
win 3-1 against Gladbach after two early penalties. Freiburg had an impressive second half and coming out on top, leaving them 11th in the table. Um, Chris, I mean, it was um, maybe a little bit unexpected, this result. I mean, uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach have had such a great start to the season. Um, most probably would have called it, even though they're away from home, that, that they would probably pick uh, Freiburg off. Yeah, I certainly um, thought they would have done. Really shocked to see the result in the end. Obviously, it was made um, it was made a little more comprehensive in the dying seconds, wasn't it? So it's a great shot in the end that takes it to three one. And obviously, um, Gladbach were looking, trying to press for a very late equaliser, and they got stung on the break. Which I think, if you're if you're going to do that, um, you know, if you're going to try and get a late goal, you want your goalkeeper to push up. So it's, it's just unfortunate, I'm sure. Gladback fans will be happy that they at least try and went try and find a goal. But um, at Freiburg, the way Freiburg have been playing, they've been out of sorts as such, um, and you know they, they've they have been quite good at home. But I still couldn't see this coming. To be honest, I thought it would be uh, I thought it'd be a decent win for Gladback. Um, but you know, unfortunately for them, uh, they dropped points again um, and. You know, they should be a lot higher now, or they should be a lot more on Dortmund's tail um, than they are. Um, and I'm hoping it's not going to be um, a sign of things to come, because we saw Wolfsburg get off to a great start, and they've sort of flopped a bit. I wouldn't like to see Gladbach do that, because I think we need four or five teams um, all going for the title at some point. But I think the the main response is how will they get back from this? Um, you know, when their league comes back on the weekend, how is their um, response to this. I think we can judge Gladbach by that. But for Freiburg, fantastic result. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Manu, I, I mean, we talked about you know, how Freiburg may struggle this season. Uh, they seem to be doing a decent enough job uh, once again of uh, not just hanging in there in, in the Bundesliga, but, you know, becoming a well-established uh, you know, mid-table side. Yeah, I mean, Freiburg, Christian Streich, he always does a fantastic job there. And um, I think when you look at the player recruitment in particular, they always seem to find players that it can help them. Um, Heinz, for example, they signed from Köln, um, who went down right at the end of last season. And a lot of people thought that Dominic Heinz would go somewhere else. And uh, Streich was able to convince him, tell him, look, if you join us here in Freiburg, I can help you. Um, develop your game and um, become a better player and uh, then you can still make the next step and um, he did something very similar with Luca Waldschmidt who he signed from Hamburg um, Hamburg of course also went down and um, it's it's a been he's been a really interesting player um, who, who hasn't really shown his full potential at Haas for our times last season and um, he was excellent in this game and I think um, Freiburg just have that ability because they, they have to work well as a club. Every signing that they make has to work out, right? Because they don't have the financial acumen that a lot of other clubs have in this, in this competition. So for them, every transfer has to be bang on. And, um, thanks to Streich, they, they managed to do that, that they managed to, to sign the right players and bring in the right players. And on top of that, and I think this is maybe the, the one thing that I find even more impressive. Is that they managed to play very good football. Um, you know, the, the game against Gladbach was a fantastic example of that. It's not like that they just stood with 11 players behind the ball and tried to park the bus. No, they were actually tried to play some very good football. And maybe to top that off, um, the starting 11 was only German players. That's, that's something you don't see very often anymore in the Bundesliga. No, not at all. You, it, it's rare you see that in any of the uh, top flights uh, in Europe, if, if being honest. So, yeah, that, that's uh, very interesting and, I suppose, good thing for uh, German players. Uh, uh, Chris, um, I mean, if we look at, at Freiburg, uh, you know, I mentioned that you know, they're, they're sitting in 11th. You know, they've established themselves over the last few years in the Bundesliga. I mean, is there anything that they can expect um, from this season? As in, you know, can they finish maybe in Europa League spots or have they not quite got the side for that and I, I suppose then the question is when when should their fans maybe expect a, to maybe take a, a step further 
Well, it's a hard one, that, Bryce, because they um, they made their Europa League last season, albeit just a preliminary round, and they dropped out of it rather quickly. Um, you know, as we've spoken on numerous occasions on this podcast, they are a very small traditional football club, very small traditional ground. Um, they've got a very small budget. Um, they don't go out and sign ridiculously expensive players. I think for them, um, a European adventure is um, a bit too much for them. Um, and I think if they were to get straight into, if they, let's just say, for some strange reason, they finish sixth and they go straight into the, um, or fifth even, they're straight into the Europa League um, group stages next season, then I think that would be a real problem for them. We're already seeing the likes of um, Schalke and uh, Leverkusen to some extent find it hard to adapt to that that battle rhythm. Leipzig, um, I've found it hard at times playing Thursday, playing Sunday. I think it would be a step too far for Freiburg. Um, and I think if they got European qualification, you could probably see them hovering round about the relegation um, playoff place or even worse for them below it. I think their Bundesliga survival is what it's about. If they wanted to target anything, I think they could target a good run in the Pokal, maybe get to the semi-final quarters, maybe. Or if they can play the right sort of football to the final and a, and a day out in Berlin. But I think for them, being in the league um, is, I'm not going to say good enough, um, but that's that's where I'm heading towards. Is you know good enough for them to be in the Premier in the in, in the Premier Division in Germany, the very top tier. Um, that's where they want to be. And Man is quite right. They did play football, and and they always do play football um, when they when they can. There are times when they need to put men behind the ball, but this this certainly um, wasn't one of them. And they pushed and pressured Gladbach into making mistakes. They um, put pressure Gladbach into um, making tactical errors on the field. Um, Matt went to this game and he picked out in his reports that Stindl had to, was forced to drop deep. Well, you make Stindl drop really deep, all of a sudden he's very ineffective. Um, and that's pretty much what Freiburg did. He just neutralised Gladbach's um, game plan and then hit them with their own. And if you look back over that game, there's a number of Gladbach individuals who, who had a pretty bad game. Now, I think if you have one player that has a bad game, um, that's fine. They had a bad game. If you get three or four players that had a bad game, I think that more points to the strength of the opposition and how they nullified their effects rather than just saying, actually, Gladbach had a really bad game. Well, maybe Freiburg had a, had a say in that. And I think on this day, they did. I think tactically, Strike got it um, bang on. Um, but the thing that not concerns me about Freiburg, because I think they're going to be mid-table, is... Um, their ability to build on this good win now on the next three to four games, how they're going to serve after that. But um, getting back to the original question, I think if they finish the end of the season exactly where they are now, which is 11th, that's a fantastic result for them. I suppose we're going to talk about Bayern next and move into the, the Saturday games. But uh, Manu, we, we talked about your how well, Freiburg are doing, uh, sitting in 11th. And as Chris said, you know, that's an achievement in itself if they can finish the season there. But, but Freiburg actually have Bayern Munich coming up next, uh, an away day for them. I mean, do you see them having the possibility of, uh, picking up a point or even more, um, in that picture? Oh, that's a very good question, Bryce. I think. It's going to lead us on well to, to our next topic, I, I yeah, think. Yeah, it, do, it does. And it, it's a very good question because um, I had the great pleasure to cover the last two Bayern games while Chris um, got to focus on Dortmund. Um, and uh, it's, it's been not always an easy watch for Bayern, watching Bayern um, these days. You know, when we, we talked last year or, or the first year we did this podcast um, about how it's actually a pleasure to watch Bayern and to, to see all these great players working together and um, producing results that we are not getting from Bayern this year. Um, I mean, you look at the I game, um, you look against at the game at Wolfsburg um, and Mainz all three times. They won all three of those games, but all three times they seemed very beatable. And um, the Mainz game, they, that would have been a game that uh, when we started doing this podcast, they would have won 5-6-0. Same with Wolfsburg. I mean, how many times have have Wolfsburg just rolled over and lost to, to Bayern? And Ajax Athens, you know, there was, there's a few occasions where Ajax Athens could have taken the lead. Um, and I think the one common thing in this in this thought thread is that these teams... 
um, attempted to play football. And I think that, I think clubs are no longer scared to do that against Bayern. And Christian Streich is someone with a positive game plan. And um, if he approaches the game the same way um, that he approached this, this Gladbach game, because Gladbach are a very good side. Um, they were ahead in the standings going into this game. They played some fantastic attacking football. And Chris is quite right with three or four players that worked fantastically just a week ago, all of a sudden drop off in form in one game. That means they were taken out of the action. And I think with with that in mind, uh, I I think every club in the Bundesliga right now, and this is this is this is a phenomenon that we've discussed from even Bruno Labbadia two two weeks ago now said we're going we're going to play against Bayern and we're going to try to win. And I think that is, that's a mindset that has changed. Now, I'm not saying that Christian Streich is, um, going out and said, we're going to, we're going to beat Bayern, but I think he's certainly saying in the dressing room, like, look, if we play our match, if we challenge them everywhere on the pitch, if we play it tight, if we are efficient when we're going forward, we, we can get a result in Munich. And, um, I think that is sort of the attitude that you see throughout the league. So to answer your question, um, I think Freiburg have the potential to get something in Munich. Yeah, well, uh, I, I mean, if we go to you, Chris, um, would, would you say that a result like this, y- yes, they may not have been as impressive. And we've talked about, say, AK Athens, um, you know, and, and, and Mainz having their chances and, you know, Bayern maybe not beating Mainz, you know, convincingly, you know, it's, it's still a victory. And do you think this goes, um, goes some way to getting them back on track or, or do you think they need to be doing a bit more than than just a two-one victory over Mainz? Um, I think this particular result was uh, win at all costs, be that ugly or be that beautiful. Um, and they didn't play particularly well, and they still won. Now counter that with two to three weeks ago, where they played particularly poorly against Augsburg and drew. So there's an improvement there. Um, you know, an extra two points gained. Uh, results went for them um, across the rest of the league. So that. Just about winning at Mainz all of a sudden means a lot more in, in the team of, of where they are in the table, how far they are behind the leaders, etc. So um, it might not be the way they want to play football currently, but unfortunately for them, it's the way that it is. And if you're playing poorly and, and picking up results, that is an advantage because at some point you would think that this buy-in side will sort themselves out and get back to playing the sort of football that we know they can um, and picking up wins, I think it's very important if you're in a bit of a um, a bit of a trough and you're not playing particularly well that you still need to be able to grind out points. And um, they've done that today. Um, sorry, today they did that on Saturday. Today's Monday. They did that on Saturday. And um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how uh, they move on from that now because you know there's a pretty big game just on the horizon. Um, so wait and see on that one. But I'm with Manu. They're, they're not an interesting watch. Um, you know, I just about watched the highlights of the game um, midweek. Was it midweek against uh, yeah. AK? In fact, no, I watched it live. No, I watched it live. We mm-hmm. watched it live, although not together. We watched it live at the same time. Um, and I was uh, watching the highlights later on for the whole match day and turned it off because it was dull. Um, and they were dull against Ajax. You know, the last time I saw them play as well as I can remember um, was the away game at Benfica where... Um, Sanchez played, um, yeah, and also Sanchez played exceptionally well and they looked pretty good as a team, but they've seemed a little bit off from that, um, from then on. My problem I've got with them, Bryce, at the minute, and Manu, is, is that they're defending poorly um, and they're leaking the sort of goals that you don't expect Bayern to do. I mean, we talked before we started recording, the goal they leak on the weekend is just a simple ball in from the right. Um, and, you know, the attacker's left on his own middle of the six-yard box to smash it home. Now, that normally doesn't happen against Bayern Munich. The defence centre-back partnerships are a lot better than that. They can spot the danger early. In fact, the cross doesn't even come in from the right or the left if they're on top of their game. So there are weaknesses that teams can exploit at the moment. And if Freiburg can find those weakness points, um, I think they can exploit them. The only problem they've got, though, is it's away for them. It's back in the Allianz Arena where Bayern will feel a little bit more buoyed by this result. And I think someone is going to get hiding at some point from them when they click. Now, whether it's Freiburg this coming weekend is a different matter. It, Mainz hasn't able to score a goal 
in five games going into this match. And then they, they score one against Bayern. I think that, that says a lot about, um, where, I mean, minds are not, it, we're not a good team going into this game. I'm a team with a lot of problems and they, they had chances to, to get a point there. Um, and they, Sandro Schwarz said after the match, um, we feel like we left something on the pitch and you never want to hear a manager say that, right? Um, so I think Bayern leak is leaking a lot of goals at the moment. And that's, that's definitely something where they look vulnerable. And, um, I wrote the preview for the cup match. Um, just before we went on this podcast and there's a lot of injured players. Uh, Jerome Boateng is out. Hummels is out. Juliso is still out. Coman is still out. Uh, the list, we're missing. There's a long list of players. James Rodriguez. Um, they're all going to miss the game midweek. So they're all not fit. Hummels, um, had to be taken off, off the field last minute. Um, he got hurt in the warm up. And, um, now he's out for this match. So that, that tells you quite a bit of the story that they, they just seem to be not a hundred percent there at the moment. And then the other thing that I really noticed is that, um, Serge Knabry was starting to look better and better. Um, I, I really like what he's doing, but he's the only young player in the side right now because Koman is out injured, right? And then when Ribery came on the second half, you, this was the first game where I've noticed, um, a sign of age with Frank Ribéry, um, because he used to be so good when he went one on one. This one on one situation when he tripled towards a defender and he could just get past him. And this time there was just no way through for him that he could not get past his man. And I think that is, those are just little things that you, you start noticing, right? That, that one step is off. Um, Boateng isn't quite as fast when he tracks back anymore. The same, we noticed the same with Hummels. So everyone is just that one step slower and the rest of the league has all gotten one step faster. And I'm just wondering, it might be still enough for them to win the title at the end of the year, but it's not going to be the same as easy as it is, as it was the last six years. Well, Manu, you talk about, uh, Robin, you and Ribery maybe slowing down a little bit. We've talked about that for a while, haven't we? That, you know, those guys, you would imagine their best years are behind them, right? You know, with the, with uh, the aging um, process and, and where they are in their career. Um, is Alfonso Davies, is, is he the man to possibly step into that role or is he a bit too young, a bit too raw? This is the, uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, player that's uh, that's coming their way in in the start of November, I believe. Yeah, he's so I I, I watched the last Whitecaps game last night. I was in Vancouver. Um, that season is over now for the Whitecaps. They didn't make the playoffs. Um, for those who are confused, the MLS season runs from March to November, and then they have a month of playoffs. Um, so Vancouver are not in the playoffs. So that means they are done for the season. Um, he's now off to St. Kitts to play national team games with Canada. Um, then they're going to give him a week off and then he's heading to Munich. Um, and Kovac spoke today. Um, I tweeted this out earlier. He said that, um, he's going to head straight to Munich. He's going to train with the first team. And, um, I quote, we're not paying 10 million euros for a player to send him to the reserves. Now, uh, I think that that says quite a bit. They are very convinced that he can step in right away. Now, from what I've seen, I think he can too. I think he's a very good player. He scored two goals last night. Um, that was goal number seven and eight. And we have to remember, this is a 17-year-old kid playing against grown man in a, in a league that is getting better and better every year. MLS is not a retirement league anymore. It's a league where young players get more and more chances. A lot of the clubs have very good academies now. There's a lot of good South American talent that is playing in this league. It's, it's, it's a huge, it has developed quite a bit. So for a young player like him to get eight goals in a year playing as a, as a winger most of the time and as a defensive back at time as well is, is very good. And, um, I think, and this, this is something, you know, I had to think of this because we had Archie, of course, on last week and he said something about Jaden Sancho. That made a lot of sense to me, The these, this approach. And we don't have a lot of German players doing this at the moment. And this is why clubs are going elsewhere to find them. 
Jaden Sancho likes to run against on the defense one on one, and he has no fear of challenging those players. Um, when we get to talk about Sancho, I get <laughs> in a moment because he's done some extraordinary things um, on the weekend as well. But Alfonso Davies does the same thing. Alfonso Davies is quite a tall kid. He's is a very strong kid, but he's very very fast with the ball. And he's able to turn on a dime. So what you see with him is these really quick, direct runs. So he will go. The first goal he scored is a great example um, against Portland Timbers on uh, Sunday night. He just he got the ball in midfield and he just runs. And he's so quick with his feet that even if he runs straight at a defender, the defender cannot stop him because he's just so quick making these little turns that he just gets around him. And we don't have a lot of players in German youth setups at the moment that can do this. And Alfonso Davies can do that. And Bayern have actually said that they didn't sign um, Jaden Sancho when they scouted him because they were going for after Davies instead. So I think this is this is really something that Bayern fans can look forward to. They, they're going to get a player who, like Ribéry in his younger years, will take on players offensively one-on-one and will beat them. And I think that is something that Bayern are lacking at the moment. And I think that's also something that they don't have in their squad right now because Kingsley Coman is more of a player that will go out wide and then look in for a cross end, whereas Davies is more of a more direct player. So I think the two are rather compatible uh, in the sense that they don't do the same thing, but you know can add different elements to a team. And so I think if I was a Bayern fan, and if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go on the MLS Twitter and look back on the, the first goal that he scored against Portland Timbers because it's a very, very good goal um, from a player that can has, still has a lot of development ahead of him. And, and this is a question that I was asked actually last night. Do I think he can step it up at Bayern? And I think he can. I mean, he's he's going to a shark tank. And he's going to a club where there's a lot of demands on him. But at the same time, it's also a club. And Chris, remember, we talked about this last week. Bayern are not a club that will spend 40, 50 million euros. They are, they are a club that for them, 18 million euros is a big investment. And that's how big this transfer could become over the next few years. So they're not going to say, OK, this is an experiment. They assigned him for the first team. And that's where he's going to be. Yeah, it's going to be very exciting, especially if he can uh, repeat uh, anywhere near the level that uh, Jim Sancho is performing for uh, rivals Dortmund. And actually, after the uh, Freiburg game for Bayern Munich uh, in the league, their next uh, Bundesliga opponent will be Dortmund, which is going to be a very interesting tie, and one that we will, I'm sure, preview closer to the time. But, uh, Chris, um, you were at the Dortmund game um, of the weekend, um, the 2-2 draw against uh, Hertha Berlin. This was coming off the back of a fantastic a European uh, result for them, 4-0 against uh, Atletico Madrid. Um, Atletico Madrid don't concede goals and they conceded four against Dortmund. I mean, just incredible. But it, it, what exactly went wrong that you, after such a great performance that they would draw? I mean, we were just dis- discussing before we came on the podcast, weren't we, that Dortmund used to do this, you know, they used to kind of stumble after one great performance and it was a bit of a a lazy or a clumsy performance. Um, is this going back to all ways or, or were Hertha that good? Oh, maybe a little of both. Um, I think it would be harsh to say they're going back to their old ways. Um, they started to look tired round about 80 minutes and I, I don't know how much that was because of the, the Wednesday game before because it was such an intense game, um, such a high-profile game and such a wonderful game. Um, I don't know maybe if it took a lot out of them mentally and physically and maybe they just lost it in the last 10 minutes um, as such. Um, Hertha were, were very good. Um, they were maybe blown away at first, but once they settled into the picture, they caused um, Dortmund all sorts of trouble. Kalu was excellent. Um, you know, the back three weren't too bad, but it was the it was the midfield five um, and with Kalu dropping deep and his best pitch is, is always a pain in the backside for anyone who plays against. Um, it was a good, strong Hertha team performance, I think. They never gave up. Um, obviously, equalised twice. 1-0 uh, behind and then 2-1 behind. But really, Dortmund should have been way out of sight. And I think this may be down to the fact that they were looking a little bit leggy, maybe a little tired. Um, had an early goal chalked off correctly, I might add, for offside. Um, Sancho did um, so uh, Marco Royce I think it was or I might have been Gotsa was offside for the initial cross so that was correctly done by VAR um, 
but where in the past few weeks we've seen Dortmund go 2-1 up um, and they then would go 3-4-1 and four, one up, their, their play over the weekend was deserved of that. Um, just the finishing was, was pretty poor on the day, unfortunately. Um, there was a fantastic opportunity for Brun Larsson, um, literally seconds before um, before the, the penalty was given away. If that goes in, um, obviously the game's restarted from the centre circle and that penalty never happens because that attack down the left-hand side doesn't come. So, um, yeah, it, it was. I think it was unlucky for them that they dropped points. Um, but on the whole, Bryce, it was a fantastic game. And, you know, we'll have listeners all over the world that will watch Jaden Sancho. Um, I've seen him a couple of times in the flesh, but Saturday was an absolute joy to watch. And Manu, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on that because um, I spoke to um, Stefan Bushko, who you know we know very well on this podcast. I sat next to him in a press box, and I felt that it was a bit of a not poor substitution from Favre, but a strange one because as soon as Sancho went off and Dortmund's tempo dropped, and it sort of invited Hertha to get back into the game. Yeah, that's that's an interesting point. Uh, I think. We have to remember how old Sancho is, right? He's 18. And, um, we forget that these kids don't often last a full, full, full 90 minutes, um, yet, um, that that's part of the development. So I, I think, um, maybe it was, he did it with that in mind, um, to kind of protect him a little bit. But you're quite right. I think if you take Jaden Sancho off the form that he is on right now, um, you, you do sacrifice speed. Um, I'm, I think though that the error was defensively more than anything, right, Chris? That Sakadu, um, Sakadu taking down Selke at the very last minute. Again, Sakadu is a very young player, so I don't want to want to throw him under the bus here. Um, just, just saying that I think that the, the real learning process there was for Dortmund that they have to just shut shut down games and. Um, when I wrote the preview for this, I was almost tempted to put this down as a draw because I remember so many occasions last year where they would, or not last year, but the year before under Tuchel, where they were fantastic in Europe and then would just drop points unnecessarily in the league. Now, Hertha are a good side. Don't want to downplay them at all because they did beat Bayern. Let's remember that. I mean, they did take three points of Bayern, not just two, but all three. Um, but I think... I think really everyone talked about the character test thing, right? Before, before the Atletico match. And we all raved and oohed and awed that at this Atletico result is so amazing. And they, they, they beat them 4-0. Um, and then they, they, they dropped two points against Hertha. And I actually almost thought, okay, like this is now actually the character test. What are they going to, are they going to be able to, to conserve this performance against Atletico? And do the same thing in the league against Hertha. Um, and I think they did in some ways, but in other ways, they just, you know, where they were able to shut down Atletico for those crucial 15 minutes after in the second half, where Atletico could have scored one or two. They did not manage quite the same thing with Hertha. And I think maybe, and I, that's actually, I'm going to throw this back to you, Chris, because I think that's where the real learning process is going to be next. Um, to learn that you have to take Hertha just as serious as Atletico, for example. Oh, yeah, most definitely. And that's part of the match report that I, that I put in, that if if Dortmund have got any real aspirations of, of winning the league or, or pushing Bayern the whole way, then they need to be able to, to take their chances. And I don't know if they were, um, maybe lackadaisical would be the wrong word, but they certainly seemed fully focused. I mean, from the minute the whistle went, they were on the attack. I mean, Sancho's goal was disallowed after, what, two, three minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they were intending to attack from the off. Um, I just think that on any other day, they score three or four there, or maybe even five. Um, and, and on the flip side of that, on any other day, I think Hertha get three or four. I, I wouldn't have been surprised if this game was four all at one point. Mm-hmm. The chances both sides had were just as much. And, and Sakadu was, um, not that his penalty, uh, giving away the penalty was was anything bad. He, he made a mistake, but he was on for, for man of the match for me at one point because he, he's yeah. an absolute rock the back. He, I don't know if if you've not seen him face to face, I think you don't realise how big he is. 
uh, on television. And not just tall, I mean wide as well. He is an absolute unit. There's a great um, picture of him and Diego Costa at the Atletico match. Did you? I'll have to look out. Oh, he's just towering over him. Um, that, that gives you a good idea of how big is of a player Is that the one where he's squaring up to him? Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Cause I didn't even see Costa in that. That's how big Zagadou yeah. is. He, uh, he had a phenomenal game. His, his reading of the game was excellent. His, um, his positional, um, his positional play was fantastic. He broke up the attack on occasions. The problem was is, Selke just got the wrong side of him, and because he is young, he panicked and he made um, he made a he made a, a youthful challenge, the sort of challenge you would expect, um, you know, a youth player to make when when they're panicked. And unfortunately, that's allowed um, Hertha back in. You know, unfortunately for Dortmund, um, but I think Hertha's play maybe was rewarded in the end with a draw. Um, but you could tell around the whole stadium um, that it felt like two points dropped in the end because. Dortmund should have been way out of sight. But yeah, don't take it away from Hertha. I thought they were very disciplined. Um, Paul Dardry had them um, drilled down the middle. Um, they made Dortmund go wide all the time, which when you've got someone like Sancho is, is rather easy to do. Um, but yeah, it was it was a fantastic game to watch. Um, and I think in the end, it was probably a fair result. Although Dortmund did enough to win, I think the way Hertha approached it and, and the way they went around their own game plan meant that for them to take um, a point away was a fair result. The headline I had was Dortmund uh, was Hertha snatch a point um, at the end. And, and, and that's what they did. They did snatch it, but their play deserved it. I think this result has been coming for Dortmund because there was a few games where with all the brilliance, attacking brilliance that they have, remember the 4-3 against Leverkusen, uh, sorry, against um, Augsburg, the 4-2 against Leverkusen. I mean, there have been a few times where they were able to, to snatch a late win or come back. And these are all fantastic results. Um, there was 50 minutes against Atletico where they were fighting for their DLIs, only 1-0 up, and then completely overwhelmed them. I, I, I felt like that this result was coming. And I remember when I was in Dortmund about two weeks ago, Favre repeatedly said, Give us time. This, like, this looks all great on paper right now. All the results are fantastic, but we're not a finished product by any means. And I think anyone closely involved with the club and working with the club, they all knew that this result was coming. And I think as disappointing of a result it is, it's when you really look at the, the span of results that they had over the last few weeks, and as fantastically as they have been playing, and they played fantastic against Hertha, there's a lot of very young players in the side. So individually, they were bound to make a mistake that will cost um, Dortmund points. But I'd rather have have them lose drop points the way that they're doing it now, you know, bringing in all these young players that will only get better than, let's say, a team like Bayern that's digressing because they're not having brought and haven't made that that uh generation switch yet but yeah i think this this result has been has been sort of coming when you really look back at the results chris uh, just um talk we're going to talk a little bit about um i suppose um you know mario gertz uh, it, it seemed like he had a bit of a a new role in this uh dortmund side um sancho has has been on a fantastic form but uh, I, I just want to ask the question i mean i've i've kind of been looking at the uh, at the Dortmund squad, and you'll be able to um, maybe sum it up a, a little bit for me or, or shed a little light on it. I mean, I'm looking at the attacking options this side has, and you, you've got Pulisic, Sancho, you've got you know, Maximilian Philip, you've got, you know, Alcazar, you've, then you've got Rouse, you know, you, you've got Goetze. I mean, they've, they've got an awful lot of attacking players, you know, Dahoud and that. I mean, can you possibly play all of these players at once. I mean, they've, they've got fantastic talent, but who loses out? I mean, can you play Sancho and Pulisic, for example? I mean, they're big questions. Great, you know, questions, you know, for uh, Favre to have, but, you know, is somebody going to get a little bit upset here? Well, if they do, that's that's their own problem. Football's a squad game these days. I think Lucien Favre um, and everybody at Dortmund is exceptionally happy at the squad they've got at the moment. On paper, and they certainly got one of the strongest squads in the league, if not the strongest squad on uh, maybe on age at the moment. And the fact that Manu, you know, has already said that Bayern are digressing a little bit. Um, players want to play week in, week out, but I think 
the difference with Dortmund is they've all bought into um, the project that Lucien Favre wants to have there, and you know the the upper tier management of of building a youthful squad. And yes, you're not going to play every single game week in week out, but you know what, you, you're going to be there, or you're going to be thereabouts. You're going to be in for one game, on the bench for the next, and it's winning. Winning as a team, losing as a team, and drawing as a team. I think you only get problems um, when you've got superstars um, in in teams who, and I think Bayern have, have seen that this season. You know, they've got some elder statesmen there who still want to be playing, but maybe haven't accepted that they can't play every game and don't like it. And I don't think we're seeing that at Dortmund. Sancho is quite happy to start on the bench because he knows the next game he's going to be starting on, you know, starting in the eleven. So I think there's an understanding at Dortmund that. All these players can't play at once, um, but the eleven that start on the pitch start as as the manager's or the coach's choice for that particular game, and you know, and it's not like the days of Klopp where they're only making one substitution on eighty minutes. This is, um, you know, they're making three substitutions per game at the moment. Okay, the, the last one for Top Rack was more to try and find a winner if they could um, because of his height advantage, but. You know the, the the substitutions are the there and they're the correct ones that are being made. Um, so no, I don't think there is a problem, and I don't think there will be a problem. If you want to win titles these days, be them domestically or in Europe, you've got to have a deep squad, and Dortmund do have that at the moment. Um, and Mario Götze has been shifted into the centre. I think we all know his um, injury problems that he's had over the past. Your although he's a number ten, if you're going to play a centre forward role. Um, I know they play a 4-3-3, but we'll say he's a 9 anyway. Um, if he's going to play that 9 role, he's not. he doesn't have to be as mobile. He's quite happily um, within the, the tactics of, of being in the centre-forward position. He doesn't have to run as much. Not when he's got, um, on this weekend, he had Guerrero on one side of him and Sancho on the other. They can do the running for him. He just needs to be in the right place at the right time to either assist or score. Um, and he was for that. Um, you know, he's set up a goal. Um, I think he set up the goal that, oh no, that was Royce that set up the goal that was disallowed. But, um, you know, the first goal is down to Mario Gotts's good, um, good vision to, to pick out Sancho. Uh, when maybe a couple of seasons ago, he might have tried a shot and it would have been saved. He's now got the, um, he's always had the ability, but he's got the awareness to know what his body can and can't do. And I think playing him in that central role where he doesn't have to run enough, I think is excellent management by Fabra. I actually think, sorry, I just want to add something to this because I think you bang on, Chris. And I think it's really interesting because in Paco Alcazar, they actually signed a striker that is almost identically identical in build to Götze. And I think that already shows you that Favre sees the, the number nine position very different than most people do. Um, there's been lots of talk about, oh, Dortmund couldn't afford to sign Michi Bacuay. No. They didn't want to sign Michi Bach. Why? Because he was not a striker that they needed. They needed a player like Paco Alcazar who could drop deep and allow players like Sancho or Royce or Philip or Wolf or name all the other attacking young players that they have to run into that gap that is created. And yes, Paco Alcazar has scored a lot of goals, but they didn't sign him just for that. Götze does this very similar. He doesn't have that automatic goal-scoring instinct that Paco Alcazar has. But what he does when he plays as a number nine, he automatically drops a little bit deep, which means it allows him to hold the ball. And there was a, there was a goal that, um, the last goal that Dortmund scored, the one that Hakimi scored, uh, Hakimi put on to Sancho, sorry, um, was actually Götze won the ball at the halfway line, dropped deep, and then played the ball forward in the space that was created because he was dropping deep. And that's what Favre wants from his strikers. Remember Raphael and Stindl were both invented, were both made into strikers by Favre at Gladbach. So I think that is something that people have to understand that actually Götze, who doesn't like to play as a number nine, by the way, is actually a perfect number nine in the Favre system. Yeah. Well, definitely got plenty of options as, as we've mentioned up top and, Chris made a good point. You need plenty of yeah. options if you want to win titles, right? You know, so. But uh, uh, Chris, um, we'll, we'll not dwell on it too long. But I feel that we're going to have to touch on it a little bit, and that's that's the uh, off-field antics, uh, the the Hertha fans clashing with the police while you were there. What what exactly happened here, and um, what what was the cause? Was it just a bad bunch of 
traveling fans. I mean, we see this every so often in the Bundesliga, not too often, thankfully, but we it does pop up every so often. Yeah, it does, and I think we have to look at um, where the criticism's been fired at from from quite a lot of angles, and unfortunately, um, it's been at the police for this one. Um, not excusing the behaviour of the fans, but uh, yes, everybody knows it's illegal to take pyrotechnics into um, football grounds in Germany. No, it doesn't stop anybody. And the normal policy is to review footage, um, give it to the club. The club will then identify who's in, who's involved, and then bans will be issued, be that for those ultra groups. Um, however, on Saturday, um, the um, NRW police weren't particularly happy with the pyro, so they went in and they tried to steal a banner from from the ultras, um, which was celebrating their 15-year anniversary. Now, when ultras get their banners stolen, um, it's it's a thing that I know people are going to go, well, this is a football match, but we have to remember in the context that there's ultras. And when ultras get their banners stolen, that is a massive thing, um, be it by opposition sides or supporters who then turn them upside down as a trophy, or whether the police confiscate them. And you know there are there are times when uh, banners have been lost and and those those ultra movements have stopped. Now the pyro display um, that Hertha put on was was fantastic. Okay, it's illegal, but it was still fantastic, and it happens. Frankfurt did something similar um, in the week in the week uh, for their Europa League game, and they'll be heavily fined by UEFA, and um, Hertha will be heavily fined by the DFL for for pyrotechnics. But it was over police. There was no need for the police to go in there um, and and try and stop them because the pyro would burn itself out, which is what it did. But they went in and they escalated it. Unfortunately, they escalated it to such a degree where, um, you know, the Hertha fans felt, or the Hertha Ultras, felt they could respond with um, flagpoles and batons. And, yeah, it, it was all unsightly. and got out of hand. Um, and then it all happened again at half time. Um, I think the main losers um, for, the, for this whole thing were the toilets in the away block, which were absolutely smashed off. Um, the walls and then thrown at the police. So there was problems from all sides on this. I think the escalation from the police, who've got a very difficult job to do, and I'm not criticising them, um, but I think whoever decided to go in and remove the banner because they were hiding behind it when they were lighting pyros was probably the wrong call. Do what they normally do, which is let the pyro burn out, um, report the club, and get the individuals banned by a video technology, and it wouldn't have escalated in the way it did. Yeah, that's it. I, I think stealing uh, banners from ultras, well, I, I think you're kind of asking for trouble there. It's got to be a, a better way to approach that. But as you said, we'll not tell them what to do. They do a great enough job anyway. Uh, guys, let's talk about the late kickoff game on Saturday. Um, I tuned in for this one. Uh, Manu, you also did. Um, Hoffenheim, well, dismantled uh, Stuttgart, didn't they? It was a little bit of a, a slow approach, especially as uh, Stuttgart were a man down, but um, getting the job done with four uh, goals in 12 minutes in the in, in the second half, um, and then they kind of played it out. So it's a good result for Hoffenheim, and they're, they're, they're getting things back on track, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, for Hoffenheim, this is a great result. I think that you can just... You can just see that the uh, many, many injured players, you have to remember they had um, the creative midfield in particular was completely in hospital, um, for, for pretty much all of the start of the season and the first, um, three games in the Champions League as well. And they're all coming back and yeah, it's showing. I mean, there's a ton of quality in this Hoffenheim side. And um, I think that they're going to just rock up the table. So, um, great result for Hoffenheim, but for Stuttgart, oh boy, um, they spent a lot of money in the off season and they've now fired the coach. And the results have been even worse um, than they were before, you know, under Korkut and under Weinzierl. That just have, has has been atrocious. Um, so I I think they have to take a very long hard look in the mirror. Um, I think the one saving grace for Stuttgart is that they're in the kicker standings. They're actually ranked 17th um, together with Düsseldorf, and that's because in Germany, if you if two teams are on the same spot, they basically rank them one position higher um put them both on the on the same position as in 17th but yeah they're at bottom of the league at the moment this is john grills from the creepy podcast with best christmas ever on amc plus every day feels like christmas morning 
From new holiday favorites like Elf and National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation to modern iconic family classics like The Polar Express and The Year Without a Santa Claus, you can spend the holiday season opening only the good stuff. Plus, you get a stocking stuffed with highly acclaimed AMC series like The Walking Dead and Mad Men, new series like Gangs of London and The Walking Dead World Beyond, and you're also getting your favorite iconic Christmas movies without having to search. AMC Plus is available on all your devices. Sign up today at amcplus.com. AMC Plus, only the good stuff. Let's be real. Dealing with tangled cords can make it harder to do your hair. Break free with the new Unbound Cordless Auto Curler from Conair. Get the curls and waves you want, anytime, anywhere. It's designed to let you experience the power and freedom of beauty in motion. No cords to hold you back. You get your curls and waves your way. Unplug and be unbound. Loose curls, tight curls, beachy waves. The Unbound Cordless Auto Curler makes it easy to get the looks you love. Love your look. Live Unbound. Available at conair.com and search Unbound. Yeah, it doesn't look doesn't look good for them at all. But um, half an hour, uh, as I said when we were talking on Saturday uh, evening, uh, that that was actually their their first uh, clean sheet of the season. Uh, they were the last team in the Bundesliga to achieve that feat. But um, half an hour versus uh, Leipzig uh, midweek, uh, Chris in the Pokal. A uh, bit of a spicy Bundesliga early Pokal stage uh, affair. Yes, and I'm pretty sure that both these sides wouldn't have fancied playing each other because um, I think the Pokal offers a real decent opportunity for both of them to get some silverware, and obviously um, that's not going to happen for one of them when they um, meet each other. But I'm sure half and I will be very happy that for once they didn't leak a goal. I did the um, I did the thoughts after their game against Hoffen, uh, against Leon, and you know that that was one of the main um, points. A so note: leaky Hoffenheim just had. I think they leaked twelve goals in their opening few matches this season, and that had to stop at some point. Um, and it has at Stuttgart, who you know, as man who said, get whipped again four nil. Is that can is this going to be their default result now, week in week out? Yeah, it's it's really not looking good for Stuttgart at all, is it? Um, uh, I, I suppose um, it might be one of those. Um, one of those seasons that they're going to perform badly, but they just need a few other teams to perform even worse. Um, but I'm sure they'll be hoping that that is not the case. Um, let's talk about the uh, the Sunday um, games, especially that um, game of eight goals. Um, plenty uh, to talk about there. Uh, Manu, uh, your your curse may have been lifted um, as as they managed to score six. I mean. To be fair, Werder Bremen put up a bit of fight early doors, but then um, Leverkusen ran away with it. We've seen uh, Pizarro become the second oldest uh, player to ever score a Bundesliga goal as, as the 40-year-olds uh, managed to um, score Werder Bremen's second. Um, it, it, is this Leverkusen possibly turning things around? I mean, has Herdick saved his job by, a, by, by such an odd result? He saved it until next week. Um they have a cup game against Gladbach. It's a Rhein derby. It's a very, very big match. And um, I think the expectations are very much that Leverkusen will go very deep in that competition. Um, it's from where they are right now, um, only three clubs have actually managed to still reach the Champions League Um and one of them was actually them. Hertha did it twice, um, in 2001, 2002, um, and 2004, 2005. And actually Leverkusen managed it in 97, 98. Um, they had a similar start then and then still managed to finish third overall. Um, I'm not sure they're quite over the hill yet. I think in this game in particular, uh, Kofeld may have, um, done some coaching arrows in the way he set this team up. Moisander, and I read a crazy statistic about Moisander, the defender at Werder Bremen. Without, with him, Werder have collected 1.54 points a game. And without him, only 0.5. So, uh, quite a key player. And with him gone, they decided to go from four in the back to three in the back to sort of compensate that. So not only did he, um, did he, not replace Moisander with just another defender, but he switched the system. And the, the way I saw this, that uh, that was maybe too much for a still, you know, a, a Werder side that is coming very much in its own, but it, it's still, it's just become comfortable with the way they are playing in this, um, the four, 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 two diamond and midfield diamond. 
And this just didn't work for them. Um, Leverkusen just had too easy of a time to, to cut them open, to, to break them apart. And then you have fast attacking players. Bellarabi was excellent. Again, I, I highlighted him, um, in the Europa League after the Europa League match. He's actually said this is a player to watch. He was fantastic in the Europa League. He was fantastic in this game. Um, Brandt was excellent. Harvards was excellent. These are all players that are very, very fast. And I think with the three in the back, Werder were just not able to, to, to defend that speed. And I think that's just maybe going to be quite a big lesson for Kofeld that that system change just doesn't work for Werder. Yeah, that's it. Um, I mean, I suppose, um, Chris, if we look at it, you know, Werder, you know, I've had a very bright start to the season. And, you know, this is more of a result that, well, maybe not 6-2, but more, um, you know, a, a victory we would have expected, you know, at the start of the season before it was all kicked off. At the same time, I suppose we wouldn't have predicted that Leverkusen would be sitting in 12th at this stage. But um, I, I would imagine that Werder Bremen will be able to continue on with their great season, and, you know, after this. This is this is not going to be a them on the downward tra- trajectory. Well, I hope not, because they've been playing some excellent football. I mean, when Asaka scored that second goal, I really thought they were going to get back into it and, you know, maybe go on. But as man for the reasons that Manu's already highlighted, um, they were pretty much killed with speed in 10 minutes, weren't they? Um, and from a game that looked like they were about to scrape a draw from or maybe even go on and win, and they were quickly dismantled with an extra three goals, which left them um, 6-2 behind. So... Um, yeah, maybe a little uh, harsh in the end because I think as um, David Cousin went forward, everything they touched turned to gold. So uh, it was it was a fantastic day for them. But yeah, Manu's already highlighted the fact that I think Kofel went with the wrong system um, due to absence of players. And hopefully that'll be a, um, a learning curve for them because, um, you know, even though they've been beaten there and they've been comprehensively beaten, they're still in, in fourth... Um, and we could even say joint third on goal difference, couldn't we? Um, but they're, they've got a little gap between them, um, albeit one point to fifth and sixth. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a lesson for them there. Um, and if you look at the table as it is at the moment, the, the biggest winners, um, I think, throughout the whole weekend were, were Bayern because of, of what happened around them. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a very good point. Um, going into the, the next uh, Bundesliga match day, you're going to have, um, well, you're going to have Werner Bremen taking on Mainz. They're going to be hoping to get back to winning ways there. Uh, but, um, Manu, there's a, a few things I want to discuss uh, before uh, the end of the uh, the podcast here. And it's, um, there's a new television deal for the Bundesliga. This is, um, this is good news, is it not? Um, going ahead and mm, exactly. Price well, is not a new television deal. It's uh, this, the, the negotiation cir- cycle for a new deal is starting. Ah, my bad. Then, well, I, I was going to say, how exactly is this money going to be um, uh, distributed? Then, is, is that going to be any different? Or well, it depends how much they're going to get, right? It's um, they're hoping for five point six four billion euros, um, which is as much. So that's going to be the starting. Um, the, the, the sum that they're going into negotiations with because that's how much they're going to get in the last year of the current contract. Um, so the digital distribution, we don't know what it is. Um, we've spoken last week that it needs to be fairer. Um, in other words, Bayern need to get less. Um, good luck with that. I think we all know what's going to happen if Bayern don't get their way. Um, press conferences, etc. Um No, I don't say anything. No, they well, they've got anything. their own dedicated channel there. It's yeah. fair and fair and honest representation that they can broadcast their matches on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, without commentating so that there will be no, no criticism whatsoever. Um, no, um, jokes aside, I think the one thing that we already know is, and <laughs> I, I, I think all of us on this show are going to breathe a sigh of relief. The Monday games are going to be gone for the Bundesliga and they might might and this is still something that the Bundesliga two teams are figuring out they might be gone for the Bundesliga two teams as well and I think if the fans and this is because of fan pressure that would be a huge win for the fans because this Monday night game is horrible it's it's one of the worst things you can do for traveling supporters I mean Chris 
just Munich to 1860 had a game in Rostock this year. Um, in Liga 3, they have the Monday games too. That's a thousand kilometers on a Monday night. That's just not possible. No, it's not. And um, I know we, we, for anyone that's over in England, we have them in England, but obviously England's a reduced size anyway. If you think of the size of the United Kingdom, well, all of a sudden you've got a, a big chunk of that off because you're getting rid of Wales, albeit Cardiff and Swansea, and you're certainly getting rid of Scotland. So, um, maybe it's a little easier, um, but it's certainly not, it's certainly not welcomed. And I think, the move away from Monday night games will be um, looked on enviously by supporters um, in England and maybe some other nations as well, because you're quite right. If, let's say, for instance, you're um, Hertha Berlin and you're away to Freiburg um, on a Monday night, there's no way fans can get down there because you might look at maybe uh, a fourth, maybe five to five and a half hours, could even be six with traffic. Um, now we're looking at what eight o'clock kickoff. Well, I don't think people are going to be able to finish work at two o'clock, and then you've got to get back the next day um, as well. And we all know going and watching German football, there's, there's a there's a whole culture there where you're eating and drinking and meeting up with friends, and you know you can't really do that on a Monday night. It's it's the it's the working people's game. I know there's a section of people that don't like that phrase, but it is a working people's game, and it's certainly in Germany they're very community driven clubs. And you know if you look at what has been said in the past, especially for the raw region clubs, um, you know, the the supporters are out during the work working week in hard working conditions in um, factories and chemical units and hard manual labour, and their outlet is football on a weekend, Saturday and Sunday. I think, Manu, you'll know there was enough um, problems with the Friday night game, and that yeah. came back in originally. And I think stretching the match day over to Monday, especially with the size of the country. Um, is not good. And when you're pushing it down to um, Liga Dry as well, yeah. you're asking um, small um, clubs to, to make large journeys on a Monday, which will, won't fit them either. So um, the removal of the Monday night fixture, I think, will fine. And I don't personally think it's a, a benefit to the teams that play on a Thursday anyway. I don't think there's any difference between one o'clock Sunday and um, eight o'clock Monday because on a uh, we saw last season, didn't we, that Leipzig played on a um, Monday because they played the previous Thursday and that didn't help them because funnily enough they're playing the next Thursday like 72 hours later so I think sticking to the weekend games makes it easier for for everybody but especially for the fans who are the lifeblood of the game because you know I think I sound like a broken record but football without fans is nothing yeah that's true yeah I think that's that's a very good point isn't it Chris Um, I suppose one final topic uh, we'll just cover very, very quickly. Um, Manu, obviously, uh, the German national side haven't been doing great in international competition, but the Bundesliga has been doing very well, hasn't it? Um, explain a little bit uh, about this. Yeah, the, so we had a horrible year in, in the UEFA for uh, coefficient ratings, and everyone was talking about how the Bundesliga is on a downward spiral. Um, I think Chris and I... Um, we were shouting a little bit against the wind uh, for most of last year, saying it's due to the clubs that we sent to U- to the UEFA, different UEFA co- um, competitions. Because guess what? This year we sent um, some of our best teams and the Bundesliga are first. Um, they collected 7,357 points, um, which is more than Spain, England or Italy. Um, they're at the very top of the UEFA coefficient rankings. And I mean, we look at the results, even Hoffenheim as a new first year Champions League team. Yeah, they haven't won a game, but they looked, they didn't look out, um, out of, out of it in any of the games against City, for example, they could have easily gotten that point. Um, when you look at uh, the standings, I think all the clubs at the moment look like they're going to be still in the competitions past the winter. And that's a huge success. So that's a huge, uh, huge step up from last year. I mean, the Europa League results, um, in particular, Yes, Leverkusen and Leipzig both stumbled once, but I, I reckon they will both get through their groups. And you look at what Frankfurt have done. It, it, I'm, I'm really fantastic. I think that was one of the big criticisms that teams in the Europa League didn't take the Europa League serious enough. That has certainly changed. Absolutely. It's only a good thing for the Bundesliga, that news. But that more or less does it for this week. Um, Chris, uh, what have you got going on in the uh, next uh, few days um, leading up to the next match there? I know that there's Pokal 
games um where can people find you on the likes of twitter um, yeah, on the socials, you can find me on uh, Twitter on at Chris78Williams. Um, um, what I've got coming up is um, some Pokal watching and then back to Bundesliga action. And then I think are we back into Europa League action. Um, Leipzig are up at Celtic, which is certainly on my list of things to apply for tomorrow, um, as well as a couple of other games. So, uh, so yes, yeah, so that's my current week for the moment, Price. Exciting. Good luck with applying to that one. That would be something else, wouldn't it? Um Manu, um, I would imagine there's plenty going on in the Football Grad uh, Network. Um, what would you like to draw people's attention to? Um, yeah, we have a couple of the cup previews up and um, Bundesliga is coming back. Do some feature writing. There's a couple of article ideas floating around that I've been finally, because last week was, was insane with the, with the Champions League and Europa League. There's, a, there's, you don't really have time, very much time for feature writing. So the, the, I've have a long list of feature article ideas that I haven't had the time to get to. So I think I'm going to tackle them and there's going to be a few good ones in there. So, um, yeah, we can find all of those at Football Grad Live. Very exciting. Yes, as always, head over to at Football Grad Live uh, on Twitter. If uh, Well, if you haven't got enough football in your life, there's going to be match reports and articles and all sorts on there to, to fill your boots. Um, thank you for tuning in. As always, we appreciate uh, you taking the time out. Um, if you'd like to get in touch with us on Twitter or uh, by any other means, uh, just give us a shout. Uh, we, we enjoy hearing from you all. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. You can find me on Twitter at BryceDunn11. And that more or less does it for this week. I hope you enjoy the Pokal games. And then before you know it, we'll be back into another exciting match day. Until then, I'll be there Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt, als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen, ich hab zu holen. Want natural, healthy-looking shine and voluminous curls and waves that make you look like you just stepped out of a salon? It's easy with Conair Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers. These 12 ceramic flocked rollers heat up in just 85 seconds. And because they're infused with ceramic, they transfer heat evenly for big, bouncy, long-lasting curls. Twice the flocking of competitive products means more heat protection. Wire clips ensure a secure hold. Makes a great gift for yourself or someone special. Go to Conair.com for Jumbo and Super Jumbo Hot Rollers now. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Catch those springtime vibes all over Arizona. Break out of the winter blues by hitting the water at one of our lake and river parks. Take a hike among the wildflowers. Just make sure to stay on the trails and leave the flowers for the bees. Discover Arizona's best kept secret and visit azstateparks.com slash amazing to start your springtime adventure.